What up? Welcome into the Sun Saturday Irish Podcast. I'm Tyler Wojak with Luke Smith, and we have a real Notre Dame football game to talk about today. Thank God it's been a while. I'm not going to lie, I got a little nervous at one point when the COVID numbers were spiking within the Notre Dame football program, and I was like, Luke, dude, did we start a Notre Dame football podcast at literally the worst possible time? Fortunately, the show goes on. Notre Dame beat Florida State 42-26 on Saturday. We'll break down what we liked and didn't like from that game, and we'll introduce a new segment as well called Who's the Idiot? Uh, And We have an unbelievable interview with Sam Bush and Logan Plants, two former walk-on Notre Dame offensive linemen, and two former presidents of the Walk-On Players Union at Notre Dame, also known as Wapu Nation. They have incredible stories to tell about their time on the team and what the walk-on experience was like, and it's so awesome to hear those guys are literally the backbone of the program, so it's nice to give them some much-deserved love. Now, to the game. Luke, I'll just give you the floor. Uh, two weeks ago, you said Florida State didn't deserve to be on the same field as Notre Dame, and after the first quarter, they were up three. Now, you certainly weren't alone in trashing the Seminoles. We both did. But what was your initial reaction when the game ended, and how has that changed over the past couple of days as you've had time to process everything? I don't really think I ever was that upset with what happened Saturday night, I mean, let's face it, essentially Notre Dame hadn't done anything in a month. Um, And when you look at it, we gave them 10 points off two fumbles. Um, The quarterback, now their third starting quarterback of the year, actually did play pretty well. Um, But at the same time, you know, we kept Florida State under 30 points. Um, We learned the next morning that pretty much all of our defensive backs had been in contact tracing protocol for you know, two weeks until uh, until Friday morning, the day before the game, and they looked like it. So that made me actually feel you know a little more reassured in, in the defense that it's just a little bit of a, a hitch and, and rustiness. But the thing I did love was our, our offense was absolutely outstanding. I mean, they could do whatever at well, running behind the best offensive line in the country, and uh, it was a little bit unique. You know, I was I was in South Bend, um, the strangest game day I've ever experienced because the parking lot is completely empty and I spent most of the day tailgating at different condos. Um, it was strange. There's no doubt about that, but it was still great to be back. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, we're just trying to get 14 of these this show, I guess 15. Um, and, and that was number three. So um, who knew that I'm Mr. Positive, but uh, I, I'm pretty, pretty bullish on, uh, on Saturday night and, and moving forward. So could you tell it was a game day? Like, did it feel different at all or just like a normal day in South Bend where a football game just happened to be played? I mean, I walked around campus Saturday morning, which, candidly, I don't know if that's allowed. I I think it is. (laughs) I don't know if it is. Yeah. And I could not tell it was a game day. Um, You know, once we got off campus a little bit towards the Eddie Street area, you could kind of see. I mean, there were a lot of people still there throwing stuff at their Eddie Street condos. And this was not just students I'm talking about. Um, This was like, you know, adults, parents. People are bored. They want to be back at South Bend. Um, And, you know, they're doing it as as safely as they can. But it definitely was not the most uh, typical game day experience. Brothers was pretty crowded. Um but yeah, I, I think to, to answer your question, if you didn't know any better, I don't think you would have thought Notre Dame was playing Florida State Saturday night. I have to say from TV, it looked weirder when they sh- like at night. I don't know why. I can't really explain I, it. But I- and my personal opinion on this, you know, it's a night game. We know how night games go for students. And knowing that it's just students and faculty, I thought the stadium looked pretty empty even knowing that um who knows how many students actually made it to this game one florida state is garbage although they you know obviously look better than 
we had been saying. Um, and two, it, those are long days, and uh, a lot of kids just sometimes don't make it to those night games. So, yeah, a little bit weird game, but let's get into the three things we liked. You can lead us off. Um, I'll start off here with Kyron Franchise Williams. Uh, you know, actually, I was feeling pretty hurt a couple hours ago as a result of having been in South Bend. You kind of forget just what that place does to you. And then I went on Twitter, and then you had tweeted out a reference to one of Travis Scott's new songs, uh, Franchise, where the opening line is, call up Hype Williams for the hype, please. So I started listening to it, and I'm like, wow, I really like this. And, and you know, he's talking about a legendary music video director, but I started thinking, like, I think Kyron Williams is the real Hype Williams. He's lived up to all the hype and then some from the summer, and he's our franchise back. You know, he can do everything. He can run it, block, and, and catch it out of the backfield, and we got three years of eligibility with him left after this. Um, you know, I've made the Darius Walker comparison before, but a, a buddy on the drive home Sunday said he's our best back since Julius Jones, and, and he might be right. I mean, we, we've we had some dudes who could take advantage of massive holes, but Kyron Williams is just a running back who knows how to play, and he's our franchise back. So um, this is a uh, Sons of Saturday Irish original nickname. Moving forward, I will be calling Kyron Williams franchise. And the biggest shocker so far is that you were actually the first one to make a Travis Scott reference on this podcast <laughs> and not me. But if we could get this going, if Franchise William becomes a thing, that'd be we're definitely going to hang our hat on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and in that theme, um, I guess maybe I'm just the, – the creativity's flowing because – Got to bring up another, I think, segment or, or not segment, but nickname that we probably want to get going. So, JOK absolutely sticks another dude. Um, option pitch towards the end of the third quarter. He just had no intention of wrapping up ever. Just laid a cold shoulder into this dude. Um, I mean, we've talked about his hitting ability before, and and let's be clear, uh, he's a big mean boy playing for money, and he will be earning that money next year on Sundays. Um, however, the best thing to come out of this was I was actually watching this game with a couple of our friends, and uh, one of our friends, Tom Lennon, tells us after this play that when JOK was a freshman, he used to walk around not Hall shirtless on Wednesdays and tell the anyone he saw that it's Woo Woo Wednesday. Um, <laughs> that's a phenomenal bit, um, and the irony of that now is that I want to make Woo Woo Wednesday t-shirts. Um, I mean, we, we got to get that going. If I looked like him, I would never wear a shirt. No. No. I mean, what, what's the point? <laughs> no, I mean, it can't blame him. It's Woo Woo Wednesday. Um, and finally, um, a little bit outside of Notre Dame, I would be remiss not to mention just the entire character arc of Lane Kiffin playing out this week. You know, um, he's had so many different personas within college football, whether it be the golden boy offensive coordinator, the pariah, spoiled brat, or, you know, now he's just kind of this renaissance man that people are really starting to appreciate because he just doesn't give a shit. Um <laughs> He was chirping Nick Saban all week um, and backs it up with just putting a million yards and points on Bama's defense. Um, Ole Miss had 48 points. That was the most by an unranked team against Bama in the AP poll era. And they had 647 yards. Uh, last time Bama allowed 500 yards to an unranked opponent was the 2003 Iron Bowl. And then on the flip side of that, um, he just goes for an inexplicable onside kick when his offense is <laughs> keeping pace with Bama. And, he, and then he chirps Saban after the game saying, I thought they played defense in, in the SEC. And, I mean, this week was just him in a nutshell. He can be so wonderful and then just do some things where it's like, what on earth are you doing? But I love him all for it, which I did not think I'd be saying five, seven years ago. But, man, I love Lane Kiffin. I had two TVs going on for that game, and I was watching Alabama Ole Miss. I think I watched Clemson-Miami for, like, 
five minutes before it became clear that that game was over. But this game was awesome to watch. This crazy stat, uh, Roger Sherman tweeted it from The Ringer. So Alabama had 723 yards. They could only have gained 41 more yards in the game. They basically maxed it out based on where each of their drives started. They scored on all but two possessions, and one of them, Najee Harris, fumbled at the one. Yeah, and then they had one punt in the forty. That is that's insane. That's, that's outrageous. I did not see that, but that is outrageous. Yeah, they almost maxed it out, which is incredible. Lane Kiffin, an offensive genius, but this is sort of the thing with Lane Kiffin: unbelievable offensive coordinator. Can he be a head coach? I don't really know. They just got absolutely sliced and diced on defense, but pretty awesome to watch. Now, for me, Liam Eikenberg being the biggest badass on the planet, they just breed him different in Northeast Ohio. <laughs> Liam Eikenberg, obviously from Cleveland, they mentioned like 15 times he played at St. Ignatius on the broadcast, which is cool. I grew up going to St. Ignatius High School games when I was a kid. I mean, the best football is played in Northeast Ohio. Everyone knows that. But on a more serious note, Liam is the leader of the offensive line. You've already said it could be one of the best offensive lines in the country. And when you have a leader like that who goes down and then comes back in with literally one eye, it was at the end of the game. It didn't really mean much, but I think that just means a lot going forward for the rest of the team. It just sends a message, uh, not just to the team, but anyone who plays Notre Dame, that this line is badass and Pro Football Focus has Liam as the second highest graded Power 5 non-QB in college football. (laughs) Pro Football Focus, if you're unfamiliar, is a site dedicated to advanced stats and analytics. They might be on the Notre Dame payroll. I think they are. uh, (laughs) They seem to inflate Notre Dame's numbers quite a bit, but still super impressive. Jared Patterson was fifth, by the way. And they graded Notre Dame's offensive line highest in the country by a wide margin. The second is Georgia. On their like statistical meter, Notre Dame had a 96.9, Georgia had 80.6. I don't totally know what that all means, but if Notre Dame's number one, uh, I got to imagine that's a good thing. So beyond that, Javon McKinley becoming a beast. Those are Brian Kelly's words, not mine, but he played like a beast. He had five catches, 107 yards with a long of 38. Book uh, kind of let the arm loose a little bit this week. It was throwing it deep besides the one to Kevin Austin, which was literally going to Kevin Austin the entire time. He had trouble <laughs> open, but it didn't matter. Most of them were going to Javon McKinley, and he was basically like a tight end playing wide receiver a couple weeks ago. I thought all he could do is block, so this was encouraging to see. Even more bizarre was Kelly's comments about Javon after the game. He, quote, he's a beast and needs to play that way more often. He can't be defended. A little bit unsure about that. feel like he can be defended (laughs) because he has been, but... He went on to say Asante Samuel Jr. is one of the best corners in the country, and he didn't have much of a chance defending him. Hard to argue with that. McKinley had an awesome game against a good— I mean, Florida State might be terrible, but they have talented guys, especially at the skill position. So really like that. And lastly, uh, Oklahoma-Texas, the Red River shootout. It was awesome. Uh, We kind of dumped on uh, Texas and Oklahoma a little bit last week. I said it before. This is one of my favorite games of the year, and even though both teams had underachieved going into the game, it was awesome. Like, it might have been the first great college football game this season. Four overtimes, highly entertaining. At one point, it seemed like neither team wanted to win in the third overtime when both kickers missed go-ahead field goals. And Oklahoma's kicker didn't miss a single field goal or extra point all last season. He misses a chip shot that would have ended the game. They end up winning anyway. Uh, Spencer Radler was versus Sam Ellinger was, like, as good as advertised maybe before the season. Uh, if you forget their hiccup so far, 897 yards total offense. Unreal catches. It looked how that game is supposed to look. Last week we were talking about America deserved a great game, and I feel like we got one in the Red River shootout. Yeah, no, hard to hard to argue with that. Um, I candidly did not watch most of the Texas Oklahoma game because I was just in South Bend. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. You never really know when you're in South Bend. The worst thing about night games, though, by far, 
is that, well, at least when like things are normal and you're tailgating, you don't really get to watch any college football mm-hmm. at all on Saturday because you're tailgating all day right. and then the game's at 7 unless you're at a tailgate with a TV, which those are kind of hard to come by. But you kind of miss the whole Saturday, so I'll, I'll cut you some slack. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, I actually, yeah, I, I watched some of the games, but that one wasn't on my radar probably because of all the bashing I did last week. But here we are. Um, I don't know. Moving on. Um, there, are, of course, you know, I've been pretty positive about the Irish's performance Saturday night and, and what it's going to look like moving forward, which is pretty atypical of me. Um, but there are a couple things I need to point out that I didn't like. Um, bit of a reach here, but John Doerr struggling a little bit to start the year. Um, he's already missed two kicks this year, and last year he, he was absolute nails. Um, he only missed three kicks the whole season. Thankfully, you know, these two kicks haven't mattered, and, and frankly, maybe that plays into it a little bit, and, you know, we only really have one, maybe two games on the schedule, so it could be kind of hard to get up for a kick that just doesn't have a lot of meaning, but I, I just like to see that old nails. John Doerr, um, you know, that could have helped the cover a little bit as well if he could have hit that kick, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but that leads in to my next point. Um, you know, I don't think it's a big surprise that Notre Dame didn't cover 20 and a half. I thought that that was kind of a lot coming off uh, three weeks, and when you look at the fact that we gave Florida State 10 points off two fumbles, makes sense. But on that last fourth down play um, where we elected to go for it, to go for the cover, essentially, I was sitting with eight guys in a garage in South Bend who all had the cover and were just screaming at the TV going into that fourth down play. And essentially, they all wanted to break the TV on that sweep call. Um, you know, I would have loved to see us just go right down the middle behind the best offensive line in the country, but maybe it's karma for that over cover we got on fourth down against USF. Do you think Kelly had the over? I, like, why would you? I think why would you go for well, that? I don't know if Kelly did, but Tommy Reese definitely did. That's true. Reed. Okay. <laughs> but that's, 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 uh, I guess the two game related issues I have. And, and lastly, um, I just got to complain a little bit about South Bend. I mean, the place makes no sense. Um, that has been established. <laughs> made the mistake of, of going out, um, to, to downtown South Bend Friday night. Um, let me preface this with saying I'm very pro mass, socially distanced, this bar, Old Finney's, has, you know, like 300 people in it. Because Indiana is wide open, which is just wild to me. Um, you know, but when you let 300 people in, like, you should pretty much already chalk that up as a COVID loss, you would think, right? <laughs> um, however, they're not requiring you to wear a mask in here, but you had to have a mask on your chin. And so if you didn't, one of those biker dudes would just tap you on the shoulder. I mean, that's just so Indiana, so South Bend. Um, that was kind of annoying. And Thankfully, Mulligan's on the edge of campus was much more reasonable and, and less crowded, so we were able to execute the drill, as we've called this uh, myself and my good friends, the Waitula brothers, for a 21st consecutive home win. Um, actually, the three of us went preemptively Saturday night at 2.15 after the game, realizing none of us were going to be in South Bend next weekend to cover our Louisville bases. Um, so that was you know, kind of the South Bend bar experience, and I, I do need to issue an apology very briefly um, to some friends of mine who I just up and left South Bend on uh, Sunday morning. They were not happy with me missing out on a brother's Sunday and and playing Warren, but uh, I think you have to understand that when you wake up on South Bend on Sunday morning, sometimes you just want to get the hell out of there, and that's what I had to do. Yeah, don't blame me at all there. It's feel like that Sunday scaries are just a little bit worse when you wake up at some random kind of, well, you have a kind of, so it's not random, but uh, I'd like to quickly vent about Notre Dame fans, uh, I've mentioned before that they can annoy me. Pete Sampson, friend of the program, had a live chat last week where he was talking to fans, and like 95% of 
of the responses, at least that I saw, were just fans freaking out about Ian Book. Like, not the fact that they hadn't played a game in two weeks, the fact that the spike was getting out of control, and, like, there's a bunch of other things to worry about. I feel like having a three-year starting quarterback who, you know, literally did not have to pass at all against South Florida, and they would have won with ease— uh, I think people need to get off his back. I feel like the criticism has been heightened since Phil Dracovic has been uh, having a pretty good season at Boston College. But I thought he looked really solid against Florida State. He yeah. did airmail one in the end zone. But other than that, very efficient. I, I thought that was one of his best games in a while, honestly. So he goes 16 for 25. Two of those were drops mm-hmm. and, like, easy drops. One was on third down to Joe Wilkins, hits him right in the hands, and Kyron Williams drops another one. And that probably would have been a touchdown to Wilkins. Yeah, he, there was no one there. So I thought he looked great. I think people just need to get off his case a little bit. Secondly, this is a conditional dislike. Yeah, we talked about the defense didn't look great. This is more of like a we'll see against Louisville. Louisville actually has some dynamic offensive skill players. So Clark Lee has proved over the past couple of years the defense is sort of the most consistent side of the ball. And against Louisville, it'll be interesting to see if they bounce back, get back to the Clark Lee defense that we're accustomed to, or if this might be a problem, but I don't think it will be. No. Lastly, is anyone in college football good? Besides Clemson. Other than Clemson. Yeah. Clemson, clearly very good. You know, yeah, I think Ohio State will probably be good. Of course, we won't see them True. for another two weeks, but it's a fair question. Yeah, like Notre Dame is ranked fourth in the country right now, and while that's awesome and all, let's just be honest. It doesn't they feel haven't right. Played. <laughs> they haven't played like the fourth best team in the country, and North Carolina is five. No, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> You're just—they're not the fifth best team in the country, and particularly in the Notre Dame sense. Like having a weak ass schedule isn't that fun. No, like it's great that Notre Dame played Florida State coming off a two week bye, but the season is just way more fun when Notre Dame is playing in big games early on in the season. Like Stanford, they beat USC. Uh, they would have already played Wisconsin if things were normal. Right. So far, the three teams that Notre Dame has beaten. Combined three and ten. Yeah, and the teams Notre Dame plays before Clemson, which is Louisville, Pitt, and Georgia Tech, they're six and seven. Yeah, so it's not that great. Whole season basically feels like a one game season. That we've talked about this over and over against Clemson, mm-hmm. but I don't love that. If they don't blow every team out, it's kind of looked at as not a loss, but it's questionable. And that's not that fun. I like competitive games against good teams. So thanks ACC for just completely ruining our strength of schedule. Yeah, no, I agree. It's very hard to get up for these games when it just frankly feels like a one-game season, although hopefully North Carolina, I mean, they're not the fifth-best team in the country, but if they can be a top-12 yeah. team, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, that'd be great. But yeah, no, um, and and speaking of, I guess, bad football and, and bad takes, um, let's yeah, get to our segment. New segment. Who's the idiot? Um, short answer, both of us. <laughs> <laughs> Safe to say. <laughs> All right, who, who, who's the bigger idiot, you or me? I'll, I'll, I'll say my – well, actually, I have two idiots. So first one, me, uh, for questioning why Matt Salerno was returning punts. I suggested we put in Lawrence Keyes. Also a mix-up, Lawrence Keyes was out the game that I said he'd be. Thank you, fact-checker Charlie Wooding, for pointing that out to me. So then Lawrence Keyes comes in, back returning punts. First one fumbles, leads to a Florida State touchdown, and then another one where he looks completely lost, gets super lucky – the ball doesn't hit him. It ends, ends up bouncing back to within the 10-yard line. It it was kind of a disaster. So, you know what? I'm cool with it. I wanted a dynamic punt returner. Doesn't look like we're going to get yeah. that. Put Matt Salerno back there. John Goodman catch. 2.0. I'm, I'll take it. It's better than fumbling, and it's better than having a little mini heart attack every time that Notre Dame forces a punt. Second, uh, Dan Mullen, <laughs> coach of Florida, telling fans to pack the swamp 
following the loss to Texas A&M. I watched that game. There were a lot of fans at the Texas A&M game, and I guess it made a huge difference. Uh, players and coaches said after the game that it like was a real home field advantage, and it, I think it caught Florida a little bit off guard. It's one thing to say that after the game, you know, your emotional tough loss, but then he doubled down on it on Monday afternoon, and there were several questions, like softballs, to allow him to sort of like change his course a little bit. He declined each of them, uh, pretty much brushing it aside, saying he was too focused on LSU to sort of think back. One question was so point blank. Do you understand how bad it could be having so many people with or without masks in cramped quarters for four hours in the state of Florida, no less, which has been like on a perpetual COVID spike? And then he replied, I think Texas A&M, they created a great atmosphere at the game, created an exciting atmosphere, you know. Uh, I thought they did a great job of doing that. I haven't talked to people because they've been really focused on trying to beat LSU. End quote. I don't really think I need to say anything more. (laughs) I think it's pretty um, clear. Yeah, Florida, Indiana aren't so different, I guess. Um, Anyways, I'm an idiot, um, mostly for trashing Phil Dracovic. Maybe he's been listening, and that's why he's been playing so well. But uh, the dude has... You know, over 1,100 passing yards over his first four games and 99 completions and eight touchdowns over that span. All Boston College school records. Um, Additionally, the first player in school history to have three 300-yard passing games in his first four career starts. Granted, when I think of Boston College quarterbacks, Matt Ryan and Doug Flutie are like the only two that really come to mind. Um, But he's played pretty well. Um, I guess I never really said he wasn't good. I was just kind of mad at him, but I'm still an idiot. I'll throw it out there. Um, and, and additionally, Florida related, um, I believed a fake Brett McMurphy Twitter account that Todd Grantham um, had been fired as defensive coordinator at Florida. And I sent it around to various group chats. Perhaps that wasn't so stupid considering they've allowed, you know, a hundred points over their last three games, which by the way, First time they've done that since 1917. Um, but I made the cardinal sin of not reading the comments, um, which easily would have shown that it was a fake account. So I'm this an is idiot. why you always read the comments. One of the principles. Now that we've established that, let's bring on some people who actually know what they're talking about. Logan Plants and Sam Bush. All right. We've had some good guests so far in the show, but I don't think I've been more excited about doing an interview than I am right now because we have not one but two great guests and two of our friends joining us. We got Sam Bush, former walk-on Notre Dame offensive lineman, reporting from San Francisco, California. And we got Logan Plants, another former walk-on who might have set the record for longest tenured college football player ever. I think he played eight or nine (laughs) seasons. Uh, He's joining us from a deer stand in Illinois. So what's going on, boys? How are we doing? Hang in there. Doing great, baby. Thank you guys for having us on. Excited to do this. Absolutely. So obviously you guys have a lot in common. You were roommates in school, both presidents of the Walk-On Players Union or WAPU Nation. But before we get to WAPU, let's start at the beginning. How did you guys each end up at Notre Dame? You know, I can lead off this question of I was kind of born and raised on a Catholic, Catholic family in the south side of Chicago. And my dad was fortunate enough to uh, get a football scholarship out of high school. And he kind of uh, accredited everything he had at the University of Notre Dame. You know, he, growing up, he, he never really forced a school upon me or either of my brothers that both attended Notre Dame. And my oldest brother, Tyler, he was a, a walk-on himself. And uh, the cur- still around coaching and uh, the current director of football operations at Notre Dame. But, you know, growing up, I, I always knew what Notre Dame was. And he, my dad always spoke about how special it was. And he kind of accredited all of the successes in life and the lessons he's learned at Notre Dame. And you know, it resonated with me for a long time until I got around to high school and I thought that I wanted to just go play college football somewhere else and kind of have the whole bad boy mentality of I'm going to do my own thing and not follow my brother's and my father's footsteps. And 
you know, as I matured from a 16, 17 year old kid, I was able to realize kind of what Notre Dame was from an outsider perspective. And I wanted to be a part of it. You know, my journey, journey to get to be that part of Notre Dame, it, it was, it was one, an eventful one, definitely of, I ended up having to go to a fifth year of high school out on the East coast in Massachusetts. And, and after I applied out of high school and applied from there, I got denied both times. And I, I knew it was a place I wanted to be. And it was a dream I had kind of growing up of, uh, I knew I wasn't going to live the rest of my life. knowing I walked away from a dream of mine of, 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 of strapping on the gold helmets and represent the University of Notre Dame on the gridiron. So I ended up going to Holy Cross for two semester of Hell yeah. to that Tyler there. And it was a, it was, it was a great kind of uh, 12 months of my life where I just committed myself to academics of, of of the kind of the first thing in life that I've completely committed myself to, uh, of getting the best grades possible, preparing myself to, to be a member of Notre Dame community. And, and I was fortunate enough on my third attempt to kind of write my own Rudy story that was finally admitted to Notre Dame. And it was just a, a great honor. And it was, it was everything I ever dreamt of, of what Notre Dame was, of, of being a member and of the Notre Dame family and Notre Dame community. I was kind of able to take in and really understand what Notre Dame was and, what my dad always spoke about growing up of, of how great the university was, you know, it kind of helped form me as a man spiritually, professionally, and, and even just as, as a guy, you know, I was, I was surrounded by great people of, of high work ethics of different backgrounds. And, you know, it was definitely the, the most special couple of years of my life. Real quick, before we get into Sam, funny story about the first time I met Logan at Holy Cross, we were working out, you know, obviously. And uh, Logan, <laughs> Logan, I, I'd never seen Logan before, and Logan is squatting like 225, just repping it out. Probably got like 30 reps, and I'm like, okay, who is this dude? Like, why is he at Holy Cross? And then he just keeps adding 45-pound plates until literally the bars, like, was maxed out. Like, that you could not add any more weight if you possibly tried. And he's, like, oh, doing so two cool. or three reps, my like, screaming. So cool the damage there. Yeah, I was like, who the hell is this psycho? But, yeah. Before I go, I got to build off that because we're in the weight room senior year with Coach Bayless. And we're doing leg presses and it's like just maxing out however many reps you can go. And I think coach wanted us to max out. He didn't want us to go over like 50 reps or something like that, just because we wanted to save our legs. We had a game coming up or whatnot. And we had all of our lifting groups rotating through the stations. And I just hear all of this commotion and noise coming from the leg press uh, station in the weight room people are just going ape shit, going crazy. I see Coach Bayless run over there, and Logan's just on the fucking leg press, just pushing out, must have been like 750 pounds, like it's nothing. And Bayless is going crazy, like he's leaning down, he's like headbutting Logan's chest <laughs> with his forehead while he's on the machine. He's like, show me, Logan, show me. And he finally just goes, all right, how many is that? And Logan yells out some fucking asinine number, like 71, and Bayless just goes, Whoa, 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 whoa. Cut him off. Cut him off. Cut him off. That's way too many. He's like, Logan, I love the effort, but you got to listen to me, man. We can't just have you in here putting up every weight in the fucking room. <laughs> All right, on that note, exactly. how'd you get in? a few more reps after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was the best. Um, no, just building off that, though, kind of talking about my journey to Notre Dame. Um, I mean, I wanted to play football at Notre Dame since I was seven, eight years old. It's kind of that classic Notre Dame being enamored with a university school or story. And I mean, what better university to be enamored with than the University of Notre Dame? Um, kind of worked all through my high school playing years with that goal in mind, trying to in some way, shape or form, get to Notre Dame and get to South Bend. I ended up transferring after my sophomore year of high school to 
modern day high school in Santa Ana, California, which is really historically got a great program. They've uh, are typically a USC pipeline, but I knew I didn't want any part of that shit. Um, and I actually got a call like halfway through my senior season from Mike Denbrock, who was then the offensive coordinator in the West Coast recruiter. Um, and he was really great. He, he broke the news to me telling me that they weren't going to have a scholarship available for me. Um, and he just wanted to be the one to tell me I really appreciated him for that. Um, and then going on the rest of my season, I kind of focused my attention elsewhere, was looking at a couple Ivy League schools, was looking at Cal Berkeley, and was actually on my official visit at Princeton. I had a dorm party the night before I was supposed to go meet with the head coach and the offensive line coach. And, um, you know, I was, I was ready to tell them, like, hey, I'm, I'm coming to be a Princeton Tiger. Baby. I love it here. And that night, I'm – playing beer pong with the guy who's hosting me and I get a call with a 415 area code. Uh, it says South Bend, Indiana, and my heart just kind of drops. So I kind of tell the people at the party, hey, I have to take this call. I walk out in the hall, answer it, and it's Coach Denbrock again. And, you know, uh, more or less, he just goes on this great tangent and tells me, you know, Sam, I know we weren't going to, we told you we weren't going to have a scholarship available for you, but what would you say if we wanted to bring you on as a preferred walk-on? And... <laughs> I was a little bit confused. I was thinking like, okay, I got to play a couple more games, you know, show my stuff and then maybe it'll give me a walk-on spot. But um, we started talking for a little bit and I finally asked him the question. I'm like, okay, coach. So, you know, going through the rest of the season, what do I need to show to you guys to get this uh, preferred walk-on? And he says, Sam, I'm not sure I understand the question. And I just go, maybe I misunderstood coach. Are you offering me a preferred walk-on? And he just goes, Oh, absolutely. That's a, uh, that's why I'm making this call. We want to bring you into the University of Notre Dame. We want to bring you and make you a member of this football team. And I mean, I am, uh, I, I was, I, I was floored. Um, had to sit down in this hallway of this dorm at Princeton. And I just, it, it's a surreal moment that I know I'm never going to forget. I immediately thanked coach Denbrock and I said, Hey coach, I really appreciate your time, but I got to hang up on you. I got to call my mom and dad and tell them that I'm going to Notre Dame. And I mean, I made my decision that night in Princeton and never looked back since. It's the greatest decision I've ever made. Um, going off what Logan said, being a member of the Wapu Nation is really a special thing. And it's a special group of guys that you get to be around every day. There's 30, 40 some odd guys who are there in the same exact situation that you are pushing you going through what you're going through, knowing the grind, but you guys are all there. And it's just the most, un, one of the more unbelievable support systems I've ever been able to be a part of. Now you mentioned Wapu Nation and, and for those who might not be familiar with it, can you explain what it is and, and how it started? The backbone of the program, but I'll, I'll let Sam give you uh, the whole <laughs> of, of who we are, what we represent. I mean, the walk-on history at Notre Dame spans back to, like, I mean, Rudy and before. Uh, I'm sure anybody who saw the Catholics versus Convicts 30 for 30 knows the name Pat Eilers and what he brought to the program in the Lou Holtz days. Um, but even going up through, we were officially, unofficially created an organization in 2008. Uh, that was the class with the godfather, Mike Anello. Uh, and his classmates, Kevin Smith, Nick Rodriguez, and Kevin Brooks. Um, and those guys really kind of garnered in a new era for what the Wapu Nation is. Um, I mean, you can go back to the Holtz era, like I said, and before, and 
Lou Holtz is on record of just having nothing but unbelievable things to say about walk-ons and being such a huge proponent for what we do and what we bring to the football field. Um, but really what WAPU, as we know it today, when that was started was 2008 and once, once we unofficially, officially created this organization, I mean, the ball just kept rolling and we just gained momentum to where uh, we have the Wapu formal every year. We are now doing issued gear. You can see with the hoodie here, um, you know, we had Logan's older brother, Tyler, and uh, former president, Connor Cavalleris were able to play in the 2012 national championship game. They both recorded tackles. I mean, um, Chris Fink, earned a scholarship, got signed as an undrafted free agent this year in this year or last year's draft. But, um, you know, we have really created this unbelievable niche of a program that we're able to produce guys of character who are able to go out on the field, really produce on the field and give our coaches what we want, as well as just be great guys off the field as well. So I think Sam gave a great rundown of the history and, and kind of just the, the, the organization of, of, of who we are, you know, of, of as walk-ons Notre Dame, you know, but I think kind of it's got a, kind of an understatement of, of just saying that of, of name dropping when you can name drop about 40 guys in every roster yeah. every year. Yeah. You know, I think Sam's story of, of even in the weight room of doing an over-exaggerated amount of reps of, of just for the, the hell of it, but it was just one of those things of – there's guys, 40 guys in the roster today that are still doing the same thing. You know, it was the mentality of what can I do to get guys better that I may not have the most active role of or have the highest statistics on the team or, or, or playing time. You know, I think I think Sam and I can count as many 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 snaps we took of an actual game on, on both of our hands, you know, and unfortunate enough to uh, to have Sam as my friend. Sorry, sorry. Um, unfortunate <laughs> enough. Unfortunate enough to have uh, uh, Sam as my friend Notre Dame, but it's one of those things. But it, it, it was more the mentality, you know, of the unity that it was a brotherhood of, hey, we're busting our ass day in and day out to make this team what it is. You know, whether it's getting your ass kicked on scout team or or bringing the energy in the weight room day in and day out. You know, I I, I always like to pride myself that I wasn't the most athletic, but I, I always was the hardest working. You know, it's I always look back my 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 time in Notre Dame of of constantly pushing the guys around me. And I think that's something that I learned from the guys in front of me and the walk-ons and hope to pass that to the walk-ons after me. You know, it's one of those things that I think we can accredit ourselves to some of the hardest working guys on the team. You know, sure, there's there's some great athletes, but I don't think there's any grittier or harder working guy, or dudes in that locker room than, than any member of, of WAPU. I got I to gotta build off that, too, because Logan hit the nail on the head there. Um but it's just um, there's no all athletes are created equal in a South Bend football team. And anybody who is classified as a walk on wears that as a badge of honor, as opposed to kind of carrying that around as more of a burden. Um, that's that's a very prideful thing to call yourself at Notre Dame. And I'm sure at a lot of other universities around the country to which I can't attest. But it's a, it's a special group of guys at Notre Dame. And they have given everything that they have, heart, soul, blood, sweat, and tears to the program and asked nothing in return. So I'm honored to consider myself not only a former member, but a former president as well. Yeah, it's an incredible mentality. And you guys did a lot, obviously, to benefit the team and the program, even if you didn't always get the credit for it that you deserved. But truly, like, how hard is it 
being on the scout team of a big time division one program where, you know, you're going to practice every single day. You're in the weight room early, you're busting your ass and you're on the offensive line. So you're going against like stud athletes, guys who have long careers in the NFL. So just walk us through how hard it is on a daily basis in practice. Oh, it sucked. Especially Navy week. Those fucking triple option teams. Oh my God. We need to get rid of that game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I can tell you right now, there's, there is nothing worse than than lining up of on eighty plays every practice and just getting your ass kicked by Jerry Tillery or Isaac Rochelle or you can go down the list of just absolute stud defensive linemen or even offensive linemen. You know, it's but that was kind of the fun of it. You know, the scout team was made up of a lot of walk-ons and it was kind of bringing that same energy and that same mentality that hey, this is my role. My role is to get those guys better. You know, there was, there was no better compliment than when a coach or a player would get pissed off at you and, and swing at you because you're going too hard. You know, you mean you're going too hard. It means you're kicking their ass a little bit and making them better. But, you know, Saturday after the game, they would say, hey, man, you got me ready for this game. You know, yeah. it wasn't the statistics, but it was comments like that that really made kind of you come in day in and day out with that same mentality and the energy levels that a lot of the walk-ons bring every day of, you know, hey, this isn't glamorous, but, hey, it's a ton of fun. I'm making the team better and I'm contributing to Notre Dame, even though the playing time isn't there and the fans discredit you as a walk-on. I think that's what strengthens that brotherhood and really kind of drives a lot of the walk-ons past and present. It's, uh, I mean, it's definitely a grind. Um, but, you know, like an example, one of the proudest things I walk away, um, one of my favorite stories to tell, or I, I don't even know if it's a story, but, you know, before we would all break off and us being a part of the scout team would go over to work with the defense for practices and whatnot. We would do the first 10, 15 minutes of practice with uh, our starting offensive line in individual practices and whatnot. And that was anything from mirror dodge, pass blocking drills to just drive blocking, working on technique, foot placement, hand placement, et cetera. And something that I took a lot of pride in is our senior year, Quentin Nelson, who, I mean, we don't even, the accolades speak for himself. (laughs) Yeah, he's all right. Um, You know, uh, he really, he preferred, myself to play defense on him anytime we were in those individual periods as opposed to anyone else because he knew when I was across the line from him I was going to give him the proper look or just give him that effort and try to recreate that uh, that energy that the starting defensive lineman on whatever team we were going to play that week was bringing for him and it's just um, you know we we swallowed our pride and it wasn't it wasn't about hey I want to be the most known guy on the team. I want all the accolades, yada, yada. Um, you go through the walk-ons on Notre Dame and nobody's mad that they're not getting playing time. Nobody's pissed off um, about petty bullshit. It's really, like I mentioned earlier, just going back to that, it's a badge of honor and going out there and just leaving that effort on the field, doing whatever we can to make our team play better. I remember my, uh, I think it was our sophomore year. It was our sophomore year when we beat Michigan 38-0? Freshman. Freshman year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So freshman year, I remember we were in the locker room after. And Jerron Jones came back in. And, I mean, the defense just played lights out. I think that's one of the only times, if not the only time, a Michigan football team's been shut out. Um, and he just kept walking around the locker room in the stadium after the game, just going – Hey, scout O, scout offense, we need that shit from you guys every week. That's how you're going to get us better. That was a great look this week. We need you guys to bring that intensity every week. And just getting yeah, that. Yeah, that really week. soft, sensitive tone that Sam just, Sam just <laughs> imitated him on. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you guys did a really good job. <laughs> um, <laughs> fuck you, Logan. Um, getting that affirmation and getting the recognition from our fellow players is really uh, the best thing that we could hope for. And watching our guys succeed on Saturday is the best thing that we could ask for as members of the team. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you bring up just bringing the intensity to really prepare the team to to achieve success. And obviously, you guys played on a number of really good teams during your career at Notre Dame, so did a hell of a job. But I guess what I'm curious is, on an individual level, who would you say was the best scout team player? Other than Sam Bush, I'm not sure who would say. You know, I think <laughs> – Three-year scout team, team Outland Trophy yeah. winner right here. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I, was, I, I, I would always say that you can't credit an individual of, of a matter of the scout team. Of It's back to just that gritty, grinding mentality of, of dudes just coming in to bust their ass. But I would say most talented. You always got lucky when whenever a scholarship freshman would come in and, and, and ball out a little bit. I mean, Dexter got uh, had face of suspension a little bit. He was down there for a little bit. But – you know, I would say, you know, I would say Sam, you know, Sam was kind of uh, a member of the scout team before I was there. And, and when I first started my role, I, I saw Sam's energy. You know, I couldn't say that he was the best offensive lineman or, or, or the most dominant <laughs> performer on the scout team. But by any means, I, I would say the complete opposite, I think. But I would say it was, I, I, would, I, would, I, I think, I think I'd give Sam one compliment, the first compliment I would give him the rest of his, his whole life and the whole time we've been best friends. But I would say Sam brought a great amount of energy, you know. I mean, he kind of set the tone for me of, of hey, this job sucks, you know. I remember first camp, I go, wow, this blows. He goes, dude, it blows, but you're helping make these guys better, you know. And he, he brought that energy and that intensity, and, and I was kind of up for the challenge to match that. But I would say that the, the kind of holistic approach of what it is to be a scout team member and a walk-on, I would say, you know, Sam was one of the, the best guys I, I played on the scout team offensive line with is, <laughs> as that title, as that title may uh, not hold much uh, in the real world, but, you know, I would think it's just that mentality of remember on my first day in the locker room, everybody would say, Oh, your brother's a psychopath for Aaron Tyler. You know, that guy was nuts. He used to lay dudes out, you know, and, and then he realized that, Hey, that's just your mentality on the scout team is, it's kind of what you're judged off and your effort level, maybe not your skill. Cause I had uh, the least amount of skill on the football field, probably at a, a little bit extra strength, but uh, some stiff hips and some awful knees. But, you know, I would definitely give credit to Sam of uh, of definitely the most impactful, maybe not the best, but the most impact, impactful scout team um, uh, during my time in Notre Dame. Uh, I'll tell you what, on the exact flip side of that, too, I got to give credit right back to Logan because we had a really fun ride. Okay, don't need to get Th- solved. This is touching. This is really touching. I might shed a tear. I'm going somewhere with here. I'm going somewhere with Okay. I mean, our senior year, uh, that 2017-18 season, we had a great ride, went 10-2, and won some big games, beat LSU on New Year's Day in the bowl game down in Orlando. And going out to practice every day on the scout team, I mean, it was Logan and I were just uh, – we like to say just bringing the juice. And, I mean, we'd be in the middle of the play, crouched down on the line before the snap, just yelling at each other, trying to get each other jacked up. And, you know, just uh, – it wasn't goofing off. It wasn't that. It was just trying to get – just jack up that energy and really inject some kind of juice into the team just to get that thing going contagious. So it, it means a lot that he, he says that about me. I really appreciate it because I feel uh, the same way about him. I'll be remiss, though, if I did not mention uh, 
anytime Montgomery Van Gorder gummy would come down to play scout team quarterback, we would fucking roll, man. Oh my God. We would have so much fun there. And he and Nick Wisher, our freshman year, had a connection that was just unlike anything I'd ever seen. But um, yeah, I, I'll give it to Logan and Gummy Van Gorder. Is just had so much fun whenever he would come down and just sling it, especially when he would come down and play against his dad's defenses because he would just start yapping with his dad. And those were the best, man. Did they ever get into it? They never got into it. I think uh, I think Brian knew to uh, tame himself and kind of <laughs> kind of be all right, especially because it's son, his son. There's yeah. that there's that father son relationship that he has, where Gummy's able to get away with some other stuff that you know uh, Niles Morgan or someone else might not be able to get away with. So uh, those were always fun, but yeah. Well, all those hours you put on the scout team came to fruition as you both were able to get some real snaps in a game at Notre Dame Stadium. So. Could you walk us through what that experience is like? Because I think most people envision the scene from Rudy when, like, the whole crowd is chanting his name. But what was that moment like for you? Could you walk us through that whole experience from maybe the moment you realized you might get in until it was all over? You know, I think it was my first game at, at Notre Dame. Uh, my locker was right next to Sam's in the locker room. And he goes, hey, you know, if there's one thing I can tell you here, it's take this whole moment in, you know, write it down. You know, it's a special feeling. I just go, well, man, that's some of the softest shit I've ever heard in my life. You know, you're a sentimental on me. I'm like, like, I'm like, dude, get out of here. We're trying to play a football game in Notre Dame. Kind of jacked up, knocking sad. I'm like, who's this soft ass kid from California? I'm like, I'm like, oh, this kid's obviously from the Midwest. And then, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden we go and we we say prayer and get ready to walk down the tunnel. And all of a sudden I'm about to slap the sign for the first time, and I go, holy shit you know, all the adversity and the path I took to get here, you know, I finally accomplished my dream. And all of a sudden we're walking down and walking down the tunnel a little bit more and you open up your eyes and you see the stadium filled with 84,000 screaming fans. And Sam's right next to me. I'm just like, holy shit, I'm tearing up. And I just start, I started tearing up a little bit, try to fight it back and try to rescue my masculinity of not crying. And all of a sudden I took that field and, I was actually able to run down the field. I saw my dad for the first time, the guy I've looked up to my whole life of just an absolute example of what it is to be, to, to, to contribute hard work to your life and, and just what it is to be a man. And I saw him and I just started bawling my eyes out. And I was, I was trying so hard. I splashed water in my face. Like, holy shit, my dream came true. You know, I think my first reps were, were against Miami, Ohio. Uh, my, my, my sophomore year or junior year, I, I can't remember. Everything's kind of a blur. But I could say every every single rep I took at Notre Dame was just an absolute experience of itself. You know, it was it was one of those things that you always don't get a pat on your back of, of doing the great things or or you say if you accomplish your dream. But I'd say every rep was just an absolute dream come true. I'd I'd always have the loudest cheering section in the in the stands and of having my mom yelling and 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 everybody else screaming. And I think it was my last game against. Uh, Hey, shout out, shout out to Laura year, Plants right? real quick. Shout out right. to Laura Plants real quick. Real quick. Both the Plants is Ron and Laura, but we love her. Unofficial team mom. Big shout out. Absolutely love you, Laura. Miss you, babe. <laughs> um, absolute sweetheart, but definitely one of the loudest cheerleaders in Notre Dame Stadium. I remember I was lining up for uh, my last senior night, and it was the end of the game. was able to get in, and all of a sudden, my, my brother, Kyler, was on the sideline. He got me all jacked up, and He'd always do the over-aggressive head slap and also get a little CTE from just the head slap. And I remember taking the field and 
And all of a sudden I, I looked over, I saw my mom and dad again, my brother's cheering and my girlfriend and sister and, and everybody starts chanting Logan. And then all of a sudden I jumped off sides <laughs> and then, and then, and then I jumped off sides. Then all of a sudden I get lined up. The center never snapped the ball. I think it was Grunhardt. So I'll, I'll get a place to blame on Grunhardt there. Wow, and then all of a sudden the next place, somebody else jumped off sides and they called my name on the intercom again. So at least I'm in the stats <laughs> book, but you know, it was one of those things of, of, of what it was one or two or a handful of the reps that you're able to get in there and we're fortunate enough for uh, to kind of step on the gridiron and, and actually play a real snap. You know, it was just uh, just an absolute honor. And it was just one of those things that outweighed all those hard moments of being a walk-on, of, of getting your ass kicked day in and day out. And I think every single one was an absolute blur because out of pure excitement and just, just having the dream come true. I mean, I, I got a similar experience at my first game, my freshman year, where we're down in the tunnel about to walk out. You, that first time you slap the sign and you're standing in there waiting for, waiting to hear them say, here come the Irish over the intercom, and you get to run down to the opposite end zone, say a prayer, and walk over to your sideline. I mean, I'm standing in there next to another former walk-on, Grant Hammond, and he, he just looks over at me. He can tell I'm getting emotional. He's like, hey, man, you okay? And I kind of look up, look out at the field and look over at him. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm good. I'm just, I, I'm about to do the only thing I've ever wanted to do since I was eight years old. And it's, it's, it's truly a special moment. I, as cliche as it is, I think Lou Holtz said it best. Those who know Notre Dame, no explanation. Those who know Notre Dame, no explanation is necessary. And those who don't know explanation. And I mean, that, that sums it up right there. My, uh, the only game I ever played in was my senior year USC game. Uh, we were up big in the fourth quarter. I got four plays there at the end. I kind of knew it was coming my way. I was getting ready. And finally, Harry, he stand. Um, our old O-line coach came up over to me and he said, hey, Sam, next, uh, next set of downs, you're going in. And I, I just got so giddy. I wasn't nervous. I was so excited. I just knew that everything was coming to fruition. I saw... Mike McGlinchey and Sam Mustafer on the sidelines, like jumping up and down, trying to get my mom's attention in the parents section, saying like, he's going in, he's going in. And I had, I think 15 members of my family were there. So it was unbelievable. I got to share that with them. And um, we go in and I'm standing in the huddle right before the series starts. Chip Long is kind of reading out the, uh, the first play that we're going to go there. And I just feel a tap on the back of my shoulder. I flip around and it's BK. And he's just got this huge shit-eating grin on his face. And he's like, hey, all right, Sammy, you ready? You ready? And I'm like, coach, I'm so ready for this. And he's like, all right, hey, just, you know, two things. Do your job, no penalties. And I'm like, coach, I got you. But we're out there. The first play is like a draw, book runs for four yards or something like that. We get up on the ball. And on the, right before the second play goes, the ref throws a flag. And... I mean, I just like stand up before anyone on the line. I'm like, wow, dude, second play in Notre Dame history for me. And the only thing Coach Kelly told me is don't get a penalty. And here I am. I'm probably going to get a penalty. And I'm sitting there. I'm waiting for the ref to make the call. And he just goes, um, holding offense. And he said number. And I blacked out when he said number just because I'm like, oh, my God, it's, this is going to be me. And he goes, number 70, who is – one of our great friends, Hunter Biven, who is uh, uh, working in player development at the university now. And I just shoot a look over to Biven. I said, Biv, I love you, man, but I have never been so happy that a penalty was called on someone else. 
But um, yeah, I uh, got my four plays, did my job on every one of our plays. Unfortunately, it was uh, it was weird. It wasn't a three and out. It was a four and out with the penalty. Um, mm-hmm. But as I was jogging back over to the sideline, I look up, I had, you know, I knew where my group of friends sit in the senior section and they're all going ape shit up there. I think I saw you, Woj, up there doing your thing, just going nuts. I was well, I did um, see you. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then um, you know, I throw the usher out of the way, sprint up the stands, and I, I mean, I get to my mom and I just bury my face in her shoulder. I've got tears streaming down both cheeks, and I'm. It, it's a moment that is so special to my family. Um, my dad was there, but for whatever reason, uh, two of them got separated, and he was sitting in a different section. But I was able to see him and all my other family and friends after the game. But um, really uh, being in the stands with my mom after that game and just getting to share that moment with her is something that I'm never going to forget. And I'm going to just cherish for the rest of my life. That's awesome. I can't think of a better way to now transition on to some rapid fire questions here. Um, now that we've just done all the sappy stuff, I got to ask you both. What's the worst ass chewing you've gotten from a coach? It could be he Stan, Kelly, whoever. Logan, you can go first. I'm trying to think. You know, I, I can't think of one specific moment. You know, I don't oh, want see, to, I'm trying to think of the which bus, one but, I should you know, say. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, I can tell you about 20, 20 different stories of, of Sam falling asleep during camp and meetings and, and having to stand up during it and having the common sense of a gnat. And, I had to stand up in a meeting for camp for like, 45 minutes because Harry caught me dozing off and he's just like, Bush, stand the fuck up. And I had, I, but the best, the best, I was, was too afraid was right to sit back down. And I saw him sleeping and I just, I just let him fall asleep because I wanted to get yelled at so bad. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. So I was I'm like standing in the back of the room. <laughs> Dude, I'm standing in the back of the room, just standing there like a jackass. Like I'm leaning, I'm literally like standing over leaning notes to try and reach the desk to take notes on the film going on. Like, like it matters to me because all these, this film applies because I'm going to play in every game. Harry once told me I had the common sense of a fucking that. <laughs> that was, that was pretty good. Um, there was a, there was an altercation. There was an incident and we had a, we had a meeting with uh, the whole line and Harry was just kind of talking and he's like, listen, I don't care if you're Hunter Biven. I don't care if you're John Monolith. I don't care if you're Colin McGovern. And he just like locks eyes with me in the back room and he just goes, and I sure shit don't care if you're Sam motherfucking son of a bitch fucking push. <laughs> and I look up and Hugh, Sam, Mustafer, and Mike McGlinchey are just like trying not to lose it from laughter in the front row. I've had, yeah, I think, I've I, think my... I honestly got off easy of, of never getting yelled at as much because I think a lot of anger was just taken out at Bush. I think Dude, if something Harry ever got fucked up, you. it would just be Bush's fault. You, it was awesome. I, I love Harry Houston. I have more respect for him than most of the men in my life, and he taught me just about every life lesson that I'm carrying with me. Not every year. Got a lot of thank my dad for it. But he taught me so many life lessons that I'm carrying with in the professional world right now. He's arguably the voice that I hear in my head when I'm just going about my day-to-day business. But I'll tell you what, man. Nobody could turn Harry Heastan's face color from peach to purple quicker than me. <laughs> don't know what it was. <laughs> All right, that's awesome. Okay, grade the other as a roommate. Sam, you go first. Uh, I'll give him a 6.9 out of 10. Just oh, fuck off. <laughs> Okay. You know, Logan, Logan was great. We had, we had so much fun. I mean, we weren't traveling, so we would have these great 
walk-on watch parties in the back. We uh, we got the above-ground pool in our backyard. We got the uh, TV uh, hooked up on the outside railing so we could just do like have a big outdoor watch party. I'll tell you what though, like no one has a better work ethic and it's just more determined than Logan and living with him. A lot of that rubbed off on me that I'm able to take with me now. So it's one of the best experiences I've had living with someone getting to live with him. My senior, that was an awesome house on 417 Napoleon street, shout out Napoleon street. Um, and all the boys living in those houses now, but I, I, it was a perfect situation. You know, I would say Sam could be uh, probably a, a 4.0 on the scale of 10. Um, <laughs> Sam would just sit on his iPad all day. Like, everybody would be out slaving away. And I think Sam was an iPad major. Uh, the YouTube, minor YouTube, YouTube major. YouTube major. Hey, that's what FTT was. I was FTT too. So, I can't make fun of him. Um, we, Sam, we, we, had that, uh, we had acting Sam, together. Sam would, yeah, Sam would never quit after himself, but he would somehow manage to get Taco Bell or McDonald's every single day of the week. And we're just Don't forget Wendy's. Everywhere. Don't forget Wendy's. It was it was a it was a, it was a motley crew of it was me Bush and uh, Sam Mustafer uh, all lived together it was and just Trevor nonstop and Trevor and it was just nonstop laughs of just four people of complete opposite personalities but Sam would just be on the blunt of of Everything. every single joke and, and and he would just hate his life because we would just rip around him at all times and just uh, uh, of, of shooting him shit but it was one of those things of. It was the brotherhood of, of, of us four guys living together. It was nonstop laughs and just ultimate good dudes. Now, who wins in an eating contest between the two of you? And also, what about a drinking contest? I, I have eating. I'm sorry, Logan. I don't give a shit what you say. I, I'll beat you in an eating contest any day of the week. I'll give, you the, I'll give you the drinking. You can have that one. I know for a fact I'd beat you in an eating contest. Sam would definitely beat me on, a, on the eating competition. Okay, fair. What about drinking, though? I mean, if, Lo- if you give Logan a case of 30 Bud Light oranges, he'll put it down in 20 minutes. Oranges? Ew. Oh, Logan, you know, guy. Logan, <laughs> you want to give a plug here to BLO? Lights. Oh, yeah. I, 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 would, I would take uh, Bud Light orange over water any day of the week. Hey, just because Bud- they're highly discriminated on and hated, but definitely <laughs> definitely the best booze in the industry. But I would, uh, I would have to take uh, – Especially in my heyday of college, I would definitely have to take uh, take the, that competition. Hey, uh, Bud Light Orange, please sponsor my best friend, Logan Plants. All right, last question we got. Reoccurring question we ask all our former students. Strangest thing you've seen inside Feeve or any South Bend bar? So, I actually, uh, I loved, on your guys' first episode, Golik Jr. had a great answer to this where he said moms. And that is a great answer because I've seen moms in Feeve. And that is a, that's a sight to behold. Um, I'll say also pretty much any activity that went down at Final Thief could be put on this list. I mean, I saw kids ripping paintings off the wall. Um, there were people with less than, more or less less than no clothing on the dance floor. It was, uh, that was, that was an experience to witness. Um, that was my birthday. Yeah. Oh, happy, happy birthday. <laughs> that's, that's a hell of a birthday, man. It Final Thief is your birthday. It was. Um, I was on the other end of this where I think Mike and Mike McGlinchey and I had a rendition of Faithfully at uh, Brothers Karaoke Night, or I'm sorry, um, O'Rourke's Karaoke Night, where Alex Bars was hurt and I ended up stealing Alex Bars' crutch to play the air guitar. So that is one of the more wild. Uh, 
wild nights I think Mike and I have had. But I, I, I love the mom's play by Golick Jr. And I'm going to say anything at Final Thieve. Man, I don't think I could name one specific event. You know, I think it was it was back into the offensive line uh, unit where I think every night was almost the most eventful night of, of the year, you know, or, or your college college career. When you see Mike Boginchi, I hate to quote here, he said on this one, dancing on goddamn fucking tabletops at O'Rourke's. <laughs> or, 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 or no matter what it was. I say, there's always that. There's always – my favorite night of the year was always the karaoke night after our last game of the year whenever he's playing the conference championships yeah. of where you were to see dudes that are 350 pounds up there singing their hearts out. I think Mike Lynchy is still out there singing. And, 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 and all over social media, him on karaoke. But I would say that was always my favorite night of the year. All right, guys. This has been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for the time. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I want to do this again because this has been so fun. So thank you. Yeah, man. Let us know. I'm uh, I'm happy to come back on. This has been killer. Thank you, guys. Love what you guys are doing. Getting out to the uh, younger generation of Notre Dame fans. we got to pump some life into, uh, into those folk. But thank you guys for having me on. But, yeah, this has been awesome. Keep on keeping on, fellas. I'll talk to you. All right, and that's a wrap with Logan and Sam. That was so, so funny. I love the stories, and I've heard some of them from Sam, but there was a lot of new ones too, like that one at the beginning when he's talking about Bayless, just literally putting, burying his head in Logan's chest as he's just doing a ridiculous amount of leg press. Like, Logan's like, yeah, I have bad knees. Well, duh, if you're doing that. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought it was awesome. You got any predictions for this game against Louisville this Saturday? Yeah, first and foremost, I agree. That Nothing against our previous guests because they've all been fantastic, but that was my favorite interview we've done to date. So thank you, Sam and Logan. Um, as far as Saturday goes, you know, I think going into this season, we kind of hoped that Louisville might be kind of a dark horse team that could be a decent game on our schedule. Um I'm typically one for hyperbole, so you know, understand that here. But I think they might have one of the worst defenses in the country. Um, that was on full display against Miami a couple weeks ago. They do have a couple playmakers on offense. Um, I think our offense, however, should have no problems scoring on them. And I, I expect Clark Lee's unit to bounce back, as Clark Lee has always done in the very few rare occasions that he's you know maybe not had a great showing from his unit on defense. Um, I think the Irish win this one, I'm going to say 42 to 17. Okay, so you're thinking blowout. Yeah, I think Louisville's offense will put up a few more points. They have a few skill guys on offense that are pretty dangerous, like Mikael Cunningham, their quarterback. He actually like was carted off the field, I think, against Pittsburgh, and then all of a sudden it's fine. They also have Javion Hawkins and Tutu Atwell at running back and receiver, respectively. Those guys are actually pretty solid, but their defense is absolutely putrid. The one thing is this game is sort of a it's not a lose-lose, I guess, but uh, obviously when Notre Dame's playing Louisville, I'm going to have to hear a lot about it from my friends. The spread <laughs> is opened at 15. I think they should cover that, but it's those things like if they blow out Louisville, they're just going to say, oh, well, duh, like you should. Yeah. We're terrible this year. You know, we're 1-3. and three. But if somehow Notre Dame loses, it's, uh, it's going to be hell. And they actually did lose to Louisville my freshman year. That sucked. And last year I talked a lot of trash before that game. I thought Notre Dame would destroy them because of how bad Louisville looked the year before. But they actually kind of hung around in the first half. It was dangerous. They ended up winning 35-17. For prediction this week, I'm going to say 41-24. I think it'll be a little bit close. But Notre Dame should have no problem running the ball all over him. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I can't wait, and uh, wow, it'll be nice with uh, 
consecutive weeks of ACC play and, you know, not three weeks off between games. So uh, can't wait for Saturday afternoon, and let's move to 4-0. Yeah, let's go to 4-0. But thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe if you've liked what we've been doing so far. And uh, we appreciate all the feedback, and we'll uh, do this again next week. Bye.